Hello, and welcome to The Mother Pod, a podcast from the Wisconsin Women's Health Foundation designed by moms for moms to create conversations focused on staying healthy through the journey of motherhood. This is Kayla Thomas. Welcome back, Mother Potters. Today we are talking mom brain. It is Alzheimer's Awareness Month, which is the perfect opportunity to discuss ways we can keep our brain healthy. How does having kids affect our brain function as moms? What steps can we take to reduce our risk of dementia or other brain disease? To help us answer questions like these and more, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Elizabeth Chapman to the Mother Pod. Dr. Chapman is a clinical assistant professor in the UW Division of Geriatrics. She currently serves as both medical director of the Acute Care for Elders service at the UW Hospital and of the UW Geriatric Transitional Care Program. Her primary interests are improving the medical care of older adults, both in the hospital and as they transition back into the community. Additionally, she works with current geriatrics fellows as an associated program director for the fellowship program. We are fortunate she took the time to join us today. Let's talk. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Chapman. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, of course. Would you be so kind as to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family? Sure. Um, Well, I'm a mom, first of all. All Um, So it's great to be here in that that respect. I have a two and a half year old daughter. Okay. um, And she definitely keeps me on my toes these days. (laughs) Um, She's really feeling her her (laughs) two-ness these days. Yeah. And then I'm I'm married to another physician, actually. So we're a double doctor household. Oh, that I'm sure. (laughs) is a challenging schedule load. It is. Yeah. Luckily, I'm the normal one with sort of seven to five hours and that makes life easier. Um, He's a hospitalist, so he's working days, nights, evenings and whatnot. Um, So there's a lot of juggling we do, but um, it's really great having a partner who kind of knows what I do and vice versa. Yeah. Totally hear you. I have a four and a half year old son. So, you know, I understand (laughs) the two stage is... They always say the twos is the hardest, but threes kind of gets a little bit more defiant. So you'll see as time goes on what what transpires. But what's your daughter's name? Her name's Vivian. Vivian. Oh, what a honey. Um, What is your day-to-day like as a geriatrician? How did you get interested in this field? Um, So I, you know, it's funny because I don't know exactly what made me decide that I love geriatrics. Um, It just sort of grew on me. Um, When I started medical school, I thought I was going to be a pediatric reconstructive plastic surgeon, and that clearly didn't pan out. All right. Um, yes, totally different. Totally different. Okay. Um, which I think is the story for a lot of, of doctors. We sort of have ideas about what we want to do and then it doesn't turn out that way. And I had glimmers of interest um, in taking care of older adults. I had you know great grandparents growing up. And then um, one of my summer jobs in college was helping out an older guy. He was 96. His um, significant other had passed away from a stroke and he was waiting to get into an assisted living. So I was sort of staying with him at his house and helping him get through the day and taking him to appointments, things like that. And it was just great. <laughs> Um, All right. So I had some inklings. Um, and then as I realized I wasn't um, a plastic surgeon or a surgeon <laughs> of any kind, um, I fell into internal medicine as really sort of my um, area of, of interest, which is basically taking care of non-pregnant adults. Um, and then the more I spent time in that, the more I realized that I really, really liked the older adult population. And there was a lot of satisfaction for me um, in taking care of them. And so eventually I um, did a fellowship after my internal medicine residency to specialize in people age 65 and up. Okay. 
So what is your day to day? Like, what do you, you know, are you in the clinic a lot or are you kind of a mix? Cause obviously you have some work in the, you know, with the fellows. Yeah. So how does, how do you juggle that? Um, so my job is kind of weird for a geriatrician. So okay. most of them are primary care doctors. So they're the people you see in clinic and it just so happens that the people they see are 65 and up. Um, and there's some special things about the geriatrics clinic, like extra social workers and nursing support because the folks they see tend to have more things going on. Um, I'm only in the hospital and so it's a very different setting. Um, I'm part of the ACE team that you mentioned, the Acute Care for Elders team. And so it's an interdisciplinary team where um, we have representation from nursing, pharmacy, social work, physical therapy, and we all put our heads together to help do the best we can to help out an older adult in the hospital. And we're consultants, so um, someone will be in the hospital for whatever reason, and either they've been sick or they've had a surgery, and they're having some problem related to being over 65, whether they're confused or maybe they have dementia and things are worse here in the hospital. And we all sort of swoop in and do our best to um, figure out what's going on. Are there things we can do? Are there medication adjustments? Are we getting the person out of bed enough to help them keep their strength up? And um, outside the hospital, who are they connected with? Who are their loved ones? What do they do during the day? Um, what can we do to help the hospital be less boring for them or less stressful hmm. for them? And um, so we kind of take a step back and look at the whole picture for a person and come up with a plan that has elements for both the doctors taking care of the patient and then nursing and discharge planners. Um, so it's it's sort of a, a variable day um, because we're consultants. Some days we may have eight new patients to see plus an additional, you know, five, six follow-ups. Other days we may only get one new patient and you just have to kind of roll with, with the, the punches, flow. Yeah. And, um, the great thing about being on the team is that we can kind of divide and conquer. And um, it's not just my job to figure out what to do next, but I have all these great people I work with who can help me out too. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, it's a really fascinating dynamic to be able to have that team atmosphere. And like you said, it, thinking of it from a consultant perspective and saying like, okay, this is our patient. We have a consultant and you're, you're really on that team. I feel like that's a really different perception than the, the average patient has, you know, especially in our day to day for, I would say before we are a patient, you right. know, when we're just visiting our doctors, you know, we don't necessarily see it from that perspective. So it's really interesting to see that, that that's what you're got going on. Um, as a geriatrician, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions about brain health and aging? You know, I think there's a lot out there, but probably the biggest the thing that I see in my line of work is just not in understanding what's normal and what's not normal about aging in the brain. Um, and so a lot of people, when they hear the word dementia, they think of really severely demented people who are way at the sort of end of the spectrum of the disease, who don't recognize their families, they're living in a nursing home potentially. And mm -hmm. um, it turns out that dementia is a progressive disease, so it doesn't start out like that. And one of the biggest frustrations we have is that people will have these changes in their thinking that are early signs of dementia. People aren't recognizing them until there's some sort of crisis. Um, and I think it's really difficult in that situation when we're in the hospital then to say, well, you know, we think that these memory problems you've noticed are actually this D word, dementia, that people don't like to hear because it sounds kind of scary. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there are things that are normal 
with your brain to, as, as it ages that, um, you know, you might notice processing speed is slower. So you're trying to think of this word and it's just not there. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, pff, there it is. Um, yeah. That's totally fine. Um, <laughs> or you might find that um, it takes you longer to learn things. So you get some sort of new piece of technology and it's just like a little bit harder than it used to be to figure out how to use it. That's totally okay. Um, but when people start having problems doing things they used to be able to do um, and things that they need to be able to do to live without health from other people, that's when there's a problem. And so, you know, we'll see people who don't usually know what the date is. And, you know, maybe that's okay if you're you're not writing checks all the time or something like that. But um, when they end up in the hospital and they don't know where they are, or what's going on, or maybe they're at home and um, they're not really keeping track of their pills anymore, or they're in the car driving, and even though it's a familiar place, they get lost. You know, that's that's not normal. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people sort of brush it off and say, "Well, you know, she's getting older. Yeah. That's just how it is." And the trouble is that if you're not recognizing these signs earlier, first of all, our chance to intervene is a lot shorter. Um, we don't have any cures for dementia, but we do have medicines that can slow down the progress. And so if you don't figure out that that's the problem until really late, the chance of getting a benefit from that drug is a lot less. Um, and there's just also a lot of like legal and planning things that need to be mm -hmm. taken care of while you still can. Um, so things like making a power of attorney document or a financial or healthcare power of attorney, you know, those are things that if you don't have them in place and then you're at a point where you're so advanced with your memory issues that you can't make one, it becomes a big problem that involves lawyers and counties and guardianships and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so the other thing I think is that if you only have this this idea of dementia being the really advanced stages, you miss out on a lot of opportunities to do things while, say, you only have some mild impairments, you know, talking to your family members, telling them stories about things when you were, you know, a kid that you don't want them to not know yeah. about or sharing that recipe that only you know how to make. Um, those things can get lost if you're not recognizing that, oh, I may not be able to share this with people down the road. And you can still do a lot if you have mild dementia. It's not like the world is over. Um, and so I think that that early diagnosis, recognizing it and knowing, you know, I'm going to have to make some plans for the times when things aren't so great, but really taking that chance to live well and enjoy your life and make memories while you can is important. Yeah, very important. And do you think that, um, or is, are there ways that this manifests in younger adults that we could be pay attention to? Or is it, is it primarily manifesting in our older age and then people just kind of brush it, like you said, they brush it off aside as, oh, it's just old age and that's what's happening? Or are there some key signs that we're seeing, you know, younger years that, that could be attributed to dementia or mild dementia. Sure. Yeah. So we're learning more and more about how dementia develops, especially Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common type of dementia. Dementia is kind of this umbrella term for changes in your thinking that affect your ability to live independently. Um, and so Alzheimer's disease is the most common type. And what we've seen in studies is that people who have a history of dementia in their family, um, if we follow them and do really intensive memory testing, which is sort of miserable, yeah. <laughs> um, thanks to all of those yeah. research participants who go through it, um, we can actually see changes in people who have this family history a little bit sooner as far as, you know, I gave you a list of 15 numbers to remember and you only remembered 13 on the first try instead of 14 or something like that. Um, but oftentimes those changes aren't affecting day-to-day -day life right. um, in any meaningful way until it's it's progressed. Um, okay. So there's not necessarily anything that you might notice as a sign early on um, in, say, middle age or even younger than that. But we do know that the way you live your life at that time can affect your risk for dementia down the line. Um, 
And so that's why it's really important to, you know, take good care of yourself and, and whatever your genetic inheritance is, <laughs> do your best to control the things that you can, like your lifestyle. Okay. So let's, let's think about from a mom's perspective. Have you, are you use the term mom brain or have you gone through that phase <laughs> after you have a yes. kid where you're like, I am suffering from mom brain, right? <laughs> totally. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And people say, you know, they attribute it to pregnancy, but what I think most moms realize is that it kind of never goes away yeah. and you have these recurring issues and I'm I'm convinced that you lose 25% of your brain with every kid that you have and cuz you're like your brain is focused on that but in that perspective like do you do you think mom brain is real and did you personally experience any of these symptoms oh gosh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think it is a real phenomenon. I don't know that it'll ever be something that like you'll be able to go to the doctor and get a diagnosis of like yeah. mom brain, take two of these and it'll get better. Um, but I definitely think that there's something to sort of the stress you have as a mom. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not just taking care of yourself. You've got all these people to worry about. And we know that when people are stressed, it's harder to focus. It's harder to remember things. Um on top of that, if you're not sleeping great, um, which I certainly wasn't for like, probably the first 10 months of my daughter's yes, life, right? Um, all of those things combined to make it hard to remember. And, you know, I think when you think about everything that's on your plate as a mom, um, all of the different things you're kind of trying to juggle, maybe pre-mom, you only forgot things like one out of a hundred times. You now have like so many extra things to do that even if it's one out of a hundred, it, it's, it's more noticeable. Right, right. Plus, I, you know, I think we hold ourselves to high standards as moms. And if you forget something, sometimes you're letting down someone you really care about. And so it's, there's that sting there that, you know, pre-mom, I, you know, if I forgot to pick up the dry cleaning, like, oh, I don't get to wear that shirt tomorrow. No big deal. But right. now, you know, if I don't remember to send my, like the milk that my daughter needs to drink with the babysitter, <laughs> like she doesn't have anything to drink. Um, right. And so it's really, I think it stands out more. It's not just like a little hiccup in the day. It's like, oh gosh, I let this person down who I love so much. And, yeah. you know, as females, I think we put a lot of stress on ourselves to take care of everyone else and not always ourselves. Not, we're always usually last on the list, I should say. <laughs> um, you mentioned sleep. So there's been a lot of conversation in the news about the importance of sleep for maintaining health. And like you mentioned, particularly in the earlier years, it's very difficult for moms and parents to manage that and to get a good night's sleep. So um, one, how important is sleep in regards to our brain function and do you have any advice for your, when you're going through the parental years and you're not getting as much sleep? Are there things that we could do? Yeah. So sleep is very important in a lot of different ways. And the more they study it, the more different things they find um, that lack of sleep can cause problems with. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to brain health, um, we know that the more sleep deprived you are, the harder it is to remember things. Um, the higher the chance that you may have these little micro sleep episodes where you think you're awake, but you're not, which you know can lead to really bad things, car accidents, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and also it's just really important to sleep at night so that your brain kind of restores itself and forms those memories. So part of that deep sleep that you have, um, the restorative sleep is sort of filing things away that you saw during the day so that you can get to them later. And if you don't get that good sleep, it can be harder to do. Um, and we know that people with dementia tend to have disrupted sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's unclear is if bad sleep sort of promotes the development of dementia or if having dementia makes it somehow harder to sleep because part of your sleep patterns rely on a a part of your brain that sort of signals it's time to go to bed now, it's time to get up now. And that part of your brain may be affected by the disease. And so that disruption could be the disease. And certainly there could be sort of a two-way street where both affect each other. Um, 
And it's, it's tough to get enough sleep yes. <laughs> as a mom. Yeah. I certainly, in those first few months and, mean, and even beyond. Just a zombie. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you feel it. I mean, I remember just thinking, I don't know if I'm safe to work. I don't know if I'm safe to drive, but I don't have a choice. So I'm powering through. Right. Um, and, you know, finding a chance to nap when you can. I mean, I remember doing ridiculous things like standing in an elevator and being like, I can close my eyes for like 10 seconds right now <laughs> and be like, oh, that was good. Um, I definitely took like desk naps where I'd be yeah. at work and I was like, I cannot Power go nap. on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Set my, you know, clock on my um, cell phone for 15 minutes and then <laughs> try to just let myself catch up a little bit. Um, I think having a routine and trying to stick to it is is a big thing. Okay. Um, and setting aside time for sleep, scheduling it in your day, because it is important. You know, other important things in life, we don't miss medical appointments, you know, picking up your kids from school. Those are things that you make sure you have time for. And I think sleep needs to be one of those, although it's hard. And yeah, it's often the first thing that you sort of let go of. If you've got a lot to do. Right. And to for hope for future parent, or parent, young parents of young yes. children right now, I should say, it gets better. <laughs> it does. Yeah. There, oh there'll, there'll be some time when <laughs> sleep returns to your life, but it, I don't think it's ever the same, no. right? Because you're, especially if your kids are in your house, you just, it's hard to completely turn your mind off. You're just kind of a little part of your brain is always worried about right. your, what your kid's doing. Um, but what advice would you give to moms to help us maintain our brain health? Like, what are some things that we can do to, you know, especially combating the sleep issue? What are some other <laughs> things that we can try to incorporate? Yeah, I think that there's a lot that we know is helpful, although we don't have like a single study that says this is the one thing you need to do. So, um, if you hear someone say, like, this is the answer and you won't, you know, get dementia down the line, be skeptical. Um, part of the trouble is that the studies that we would need to do to prove, like, this is the solution are way too expensive and complicated to set up. So we have to sort of take groups of people and watch them over the years and look back and see what happens. Um or kind of, um, you know, survey people, did you do this or that? And then see if down the line they develop memory problems in the future. And, and none of those are as, as strong of evidence. Um, but what we do see are that um, things like being physically active, so um, having good heart health and lung health is really important for protecting your brain. There's definitely a link there. Um, we know that um, if you have diabetes and you don't control your blood sugars well, that can affect your brain. Um, same with things like high blood pressure, um, making sure that you're taking your medications and that those blood pressure numbers are in the range um, of relatively normal um, can be helpful. And um, that's not only because um, there's a higher risk of Alzheimer's disease if you have high blood pressure and uncontrolled diabetes, but also because those are risk factors for things like strokes, where I mean, you literally lose part of your brain. And you know, there's some healing, but um, that can, over time, if you have multiple strokes, cause dementia. Okay. Um, a lot of people focus on diet, and I think that's a good thing. Um, diet is tough, mm -hmm. <laughs> especially as moms. Right, especially <laughs> as moms when you're like eating on the go and yeah. um, trying to, you know, get dinner together after a busy day. Um, but trying to maintain a, a healthy weight, and you know, you don't have to be model thin or anything like that. But being relatively healthy, um, trying to eat sort of whole grains and foods that are. Um, 
lower in fat and calories and things like that can be helpful. You know, and we don't know if there's a certain food that's going to do it. My my own grandmother had dementia, so my mom's mom, and my mom is convinced that blueberries are going to be it. So she's just always eating blueberries, and I'm like, that's good because they're good for you. But right. <laughs> you could, not, right? yeah, we're not positive yet on the research. But like yeah. you can go nuts on them, and it won't hurt you, but it may not help. <laughs> yeah, maybe the placebo effect will help. Right, right. Yeah. And I think there's other things um, to think about, like protecting your brain from head injuries. Um, so we do see that, you know, boxers who have repeated head injuries have a higher risk of dementia. Um, it's called dementia pugilistica. So there's actually a word for it. Okay. Um, and we've seen people like um, Muhammad Ali who developed Parkinson's disease and they think it may be related to all the head trauma he had boxing. And certainly most moms aren't in the sort of lifestyle where they're going to get bonked on the head too much. But, you know, wearing a helmet when you're out bicycling, if you're on a motorcycle, be careful, wear a helmet. Um, right. If you're in the car driving, wear your seatbelts, try to drive reasonably um, to avoid those accidents where you could, you know, get hit on the head and lose consciousness. Um, there's not necessarily strong ties, but there's a slight risk um, if you have those kind of things happen that, you know, if you can avoid it, yeah. <laughs> do. <laughs> avoid as much as possible. Right. <laughs> you know, for lots of reasons, yes. not just for, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully to survive and right. of that nature. <laughs> um, okay. I just have one more question. So in, along the same lines as these, as a busy working mom, what kinds of steps do you personally take to promote your brain health? What are things that you incorporate? So obviously your mom is on the blueberry train, but <laughs> right. yeah. how about yourself? So I, I think some of the big things that I try to do are eat relatively healthy. And I have my days, let me tell you, where I don't. Um, We're all but, human. Right. Right, right. <laughs> Trying to, in general, kind of keep an eye on my chronic potential medical illnesses, keeping my blood pressure under control, um, eating, you know, what I think are decent foods, being physically active. And luckily, when you have kids to chase, that's not too hard. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. But taking time to um, watch my sort of physical health and then also, I think, mental health, um, trying to find time for myself to relax, getting enough sleep. Um, I I like to sleep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things, especially <laughs> now that I've got a kid and, and didn't have it for a while. Right. Um, so those are probably the bigger things that I do and, okay. and trying to be, I think, as physically, socially and, and mentally active as possible is always good. Um, we don't know that, you know, you could do everything perfectly. You still may get dementia, but um, having those connections can make a difference. Um, and Education is protective when it comes to brain health. So um, the more schooling you've had, the lower your chances of getting dementia. And so, you know, if you didn't finish high school, like go get that GED. Or, you know, if you finished high school and you're thinking about taking some classes, do it um, because that can help your brain. Um, when they look at people who've been educated versus haven't, and they do like autopsies, they look at the brains, they'll often not see a difference between how much of the Alzheimer's changes are present in the brain, but there'll be a very big difference sort of clinically. How did these people do? The highly educated people, even if they have those same brain changes, will have been functioning better and thinking better than the people who had less education. And that's probably because by training your brain, by keeping it active, you're able to kind of overcome and, and get around some of those brain changes that, that Alzheimer's disease causes and similar dementias. Yeah, it makes sense. But I, I've, I don't think I've ever heard that before that, you know, keep that going for your brain health in general, but for the betterment of population right? as well. I think it's good, good for education everything. is always good. <laughs> you don't have to get a formal degree. There's plenty of opportunities yeah, to get out yeah. and learn. So I think that's excellent advice. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the Mother Pod today. Your answers were really insightful, and we appreciate you taking the time to be here. Thanks.
weeks. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Would you like to learn more on how to improve your brain health? Attend one of our Grapevine program's free upcoming health sessions discussing the healthy aging brain. The one-hour educational session presented by a registered nurse will go in-depth into what you can do to lower your dementia risk and keep your brain healthy. Held statewide in Wisconsin, sessions are always free, but registration is required. Visit our events calendar for times and locations at www.hf.org backslash events. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel to stay connected. Find The Mother Pod on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you for tuning into The Mother Pod. The Wisconsin Women's Health Foundation is a statewide nonprofit striving to innovate, impact, and improve women's health to help women and their families achieve their healthiest potential. For more information on The Mother Pod, our programs, events, or research initiatives, visit our website at whf.org. Until next time, remember, it all begins with a healthy woman.